This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, reading from verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give that which is holy to the dogs, or cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. Probably no verse of Scripture in the whole of the New Testament is more misunderstood and more misused than Matthew 7, 1. It's safe to say that it is the one statement of Jesus that every liberal-minded person seems to know by heart. Today, the stock answer to every sin and every loose living lifestyle within the church, never mind in the world, is excused by, do not judge me. You cannot judge me. You're not allowed to judge me. Jesus said, do not judge. And then the modern church has become so fearful of upsetting anyone and so embracing of everyone and accepting of everything that we're forgotten to be able to discern and to say what is bad and what is good, what is holy and unholy, what is righteous and unrighteous, what is scriptural and unscriptural. However, as Christians, we need to be careful that we get the right balance between being able to have a proper, sensible, sound judgment or becoming censorious and judgmental and condemning. And sometimes there's a fine line between the two. And all of us have strayed over the line on occasions. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is addressing believers in what has become known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus is addressing in this particular sermon, his disciples. And one of the things he's very conscious of is the scribes and the Pharisees. And so actually, one of his most challenging statements is right there in Matthew 7, 1. Judge not that you be not judged. So we need to understand what he meant by that. And to understand what he meant by that, we need to understand what he didn't mean by that. 
What he didn't mean was that we couldn't make a proper analysis, assessment, judgment, if you will. Actually, when it comes to judgment and assessing and analyzing, we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to be able to look at something or someone and have a fair opinion. We're supposed to be able to do this. So what does he mean by judge not that you be not judged? He doesn't mean, well, let's just be tolerant about everything. Let's accept everyone, everything, love everybody, don't have any opinion, have no convictions, don't say boo to a goose, don't kick any golden cows, don't burst any bubbles, don't do any of that. Just accept everything and everyone, no matter what it is or who it is. But we can't do that either. Because not everything that goes under the banner of Christian is actually Christian. Not every lifestyle that goes under the banner of Christian is actually Christian. And so neither Jesus or his disciples believed that. Jesus called Herod a fox. Jesus made some very, very strong statements. He called Herod a fox. <laughs> The scribes and the Pharisees, he called them snakes, vipers, a den of vipers. <laughs> he said that their teaching was like leaven, to beware of it. Don't accept it. It's dangerous stuff. It'll poison you spiritually. He was very adamant about that. On the day of Pentecost, Peter called the religious crowd murderers. Stephen said they were uncircumcised stiff necks. Strong language, isn't it? And so Jesus and the disciples were clearly making a judgment here. The Apostle Paul names and shames sometimes. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord reward him according to his works. <laughs> Pretty strong stuff, isn't it? Jesus says, give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Don't cast your pearls before swine. So if we can't judge, how could we possibly do that? Jesus says, beware of false prophets, verse 15 of that chapter. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward they, they, they are ravenous wolves. Sheep's clothing means they look innocent enough. It means that they look the part, that they are fine on the outside. Like those scribes and Pharisees that Jesus said they were like whitewashed tombs, they were nice and bright and clean and shiny on the outside, but inside they were full of dead men's bones. And so these false teachers... They talked smoothly. They appealed. They looked wonderful. But in reality, their teaching was poisonous, dangerous, terrible. So how could we know that if we could not assess 
and judge their teaching. How would we know that? And so we can't just accept everything that goes under the banner of Christian. We've got to be able to discern and weigh up, know our scriptures, and be able to make a sound and proper judgment. Now, the early church, you have to understand, very early in the life of the early church, it wasn't too long to false teachers and false cults began to rise up, and false teachers began to infiltrate the church. And they brought this pernicious teaching. There was all kinds of teaching come into the church. And you'll find that Paul and Peter and John and Jude, they write about it. And they warn the church about it. Now, how could they do that if they couldn't make judgments? If they couldn't actually say, this is wrong. But they did. In fact, if I look at Second Peter uh, chapter 1, you see a little bit of this here, Second Peter chapter 2, actually. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Now, Peter's talking to the church. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Now, notice Peter speaking to Christians in the church, and he's warning about what has sneaked in that appeared okay. And it was so, gave the appearance of being all right, that many were swept by, along with it. There's a lot of stuff going on in the church today that is just not scriptural or biblical. In, in 1 John chapter 2, just across the page, verse 18, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. But even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that is the last, this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let him that abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning, if what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which is in you, you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Now he says, you don't need to anyone teach you. He's talking about these false teachers. Because obviously, Ephesians says that God has set in the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And so he's making a very good distinction there. And if you, if you were to read down 2 John 7 and 8, and 
Jude, uh, verse 3 and 4, you would see that the apostles were warning that not everything that was in the church was genuine and true. So therefore, we had to judge. We had to assess. We had to think. We have a legal system that makes judgments. We have governments that make judgments. Every single day of your life, you have to make a judgment about your finances, your health, the budget, your children, your job, your career, your school, your university, everything. Every single day, we have to assess and we have to judge. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, he writes to the Corinthian church because of the many problems they had, there was one that was terrible. Immorality, a case of incest. He says it was so bad, if I could paraphrase, it was making the unbelievers blush. It was really bad. And he says, instead of you dealing with it, you get puffed up with pride about it. So he said, even though I'm not with you, I'm going to make a judgment. And my judgment is that that person be excommunicated. That was his judgment. Excommunicate him. In fact, he says, hand them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that a spirit may be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. That sounds like a judgment to me. What does it sound like to you? That's pretty hard, isn't it? We don't do that in church anymore. But the Apostle Paul did it. And he was very adamant about it. In fact, in Matthew 18, uh, there's talk there about church discipline. In Matthew 18, if I can just read a couple of verses, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear... Take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. That's why the next two verses, which we often use in another context, but, but the context is written, and assuredly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's talking about making a judgment here when it comes to a disciplinary action in church. Again, I say to you that if any two agree on earth is touching anything they ask, it will be done for them of my Father in heaven, where two or three are gathered in my name. I am there in the midst of them. Where two or three witnesses are gathered in my name. I'm in the witness of them. That's what he's saying in the context. So what am I saying tonight? I'm saying, don't park your brains. Do not judge doesn't mean parking your brains. It doesn't mean ha not having an opinion or not being able to express an opinion. So what then did Jesus really mean when he said for us not to judge? Obviously, we have to make proper judgments in church, out of church, in our private lives, in our public lives. It's not so much making a judgment that Jesus was concerned about was how we made the judgment. What was our motive in making the judgment? How did we arrive at that judgment? Why did we make that judgment? Why are we carrying that judgment out? Those are the things that concern Jesus. And these are the things that should concern us. See, Jesus was ever aware of the pharisaical spirit. You understand that the, 
the disciples had grown up with the Pharisees. All they had ever known about religion was the Pharisees and that Pharisaical spirit that they had that was continually judging to condemn, continually judging to put down, continually judging to make themselves superior to everybody else. And Jesus did not want his disciples, his church, us to be like that. That's what he's trying to deal with here in Matthew 7. And so there's a difference between making proper judgment and being judgmental, censorious, and condemning in our assessments. Are you still with me? All right. Here's what Jesus said in John 7, 24. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. In other words, don't judge superficially. Don't judge when you don't know all the facts. Because that's exactly what the Pharisees did to Jesus. They judged him wrongly. They judged him unrighteously. Their motive, their intention was not pure. It was not they had any interest at all in finding out if what Jesus was saying was true. They could care less. They had already made up their mind. Their mind was made up. Jesus was a blasphemous false prophet. And all they wanted to do was find some kind of accusation against him that could legally stand where they could do away with him. So they were being judgmental. They weren't making proper judgments. They weren't assessing it correctly. They just didn't care. Their mind was made up. If you're talking to somebody whose mind's already made up, you're not going to get very far. And so this judgmentalism condemned Jesus didn't interest them about the facts, could care less about the truth. They were happy to condemn without any investigation. And that's the danger of judging. That's why it can be a fine line that you can stray from one to the other. And Jesus says to be careful about it. Isn't it interesting today that the most judgmental, censorious Condemning people are the ones with the placards holding out saying, don't judge me. Don't censor me. Don't tell me what to do. And they don't see the irony where they're judging us. Don't judge me, but I'm judging you. But they don't see the irony in that. But that's the world. And you can't expect anything more from the world. The world's not going to get any better. But when that comes to the church, then we're in trouble. Now, Christ is addressing believers here. So we must think of ourselves in relation to making judgments and the balance between that and becoming judgmental. It's easy to fall into the trap of starting out in the former and ending up in the latter. And every single one of us, if we thought about it for five minutes, would realize all of us has done that. Maybe started out with a good intention, but we strayed into making a good judgment to becoming judgmental. Why? Because we didn't investigate properly. Or maybe our motivation wasn't right in the first place. So Jesus is warning about having a pharisaical spirit, a tendency to condemn, to feel superior, to try to guess the other person's motives and conclude that they are wrong if they disagree with us. You know, one of the good things about this 
churches working together and more. One of the good things that comes out of this is you get to realize that all of us has got a different way of worshiping, different mode of worship, different style of government, different emphasis and different things, but we're one on Christ. And the more you get to know the other believers, the more comfortable you are with their style of worship, with what, how they do things. It's different than ours, ours is different than theirs. But we're beginning to realize that those are not the issues. Really, those things shouldn't divide us. But often they do, but they shouldn't. Why? Because we judge and because sometimes we feel superior and we shouldn't. This was the attitude of the Pharisees towards Jesus. John 7, 15, the Jews marveled saying, how does this man know letters having never studied? In other words, he's never been to the rabbinical schools. He's never sat at the feet of the rabbis. So how come he knows so much? Where does his authority come from? Who is he reading? Who is he quoting? That's all he could think about. But Jesus made it clear that his authority came from the Father. His authority came from God. He made that abundantly clear. And that really, really maddened them because he wasn't in their club. Unless you went to the rabbinical schools, unless you were taught by the rabbis, unless you listened to them, then you weren't in the Pharisaical club, so to speak. And Jesus was far from it. He hated it. He despised it. We know who you are, they said. We know you're not the son of God. You're Joseph's son. You're the carpenter's son. That's who you are. You are the one who was born out of wedlock. You're illegitimate. That's who you are. We know that. Of course, if they had read their Bible properly and had to believe their prophets, their own prophets, then they would have realized who Jesus was. But they already made up their mind. And nothing he was going to say was going to change it. And so when judgment becomes judgmentalism, then we are straying into dangerous ground. We will be the ones who stand condemned. Why? Because one day, all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? That one day, every single one of us will be judged. Now, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's not to say whether we're going to heaven or hell. That is already settled now, here and now. We already know we're going to heaven. But that's to test the things done in the body since the day we get saved, to see if we're going to get any rewards. And part of that testing will be our motivation and how we handle things and how we handle people. And so it's very, very important that we do the right thing. Peter says the time has come when judgment begins at the house of God. And so the warning from Jesus is that we need to be careful when it comes to making judgments. That our our motive must be right, our heart must be right, and we must do it in the right way. The Apostle Paul, uh, writing in Romans chapter 1, he has something to say about all of this. Reading from verse 28 of Romans 1. Well, let's read in verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not... Sorry, I'm reading from 1 Corinthians. Romans need to be reading from, sorry. Verse 28, Romans chapter 1. 
And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, with sexual immorality, with wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice Now, who is Paul talking about here? He's talking about the world, the pagan world that they lived in. That's how they live. That's how they live today. But then if you read the next verse, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. So now he's talking to the Jews, whose habit was to condemn others. And he said, you're condemning those Gentiles for the very things that you're doing yourself. But we know that the judgment is, the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to repentance? In other words, he's saying to the Jews, he says, God has given you so much. He's been so good to you. Think of what God gave to the Jews. He gave them the word of God. He gave them the prophets. He gave them the scriptures. He gave them the light. He made them a nation above all nations. Why? To lead them to repentance. That was the goodness of God. But he says, instead, what you're doing is condemning those things in the Gentiles' life, and you're doing the same things. He says, it's inexcusable. It's not going to work. You're going to stand condemned. Now, the warning then, then, is for us. If we're condemning somebody for doing something, and we're doing the same thing, then we have no legs to stand on. We're going to be condemned as much as them. Do you get that? Do you understand that? That's what Paul's saying. So we need to be very, very careful. In Romans chapter 14, uh, if I may read this here from the NIV. Speaking directly to believers. Romans 14, verse 1. Accept him who is, whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. So in other words, somebody's born again, but there's disputable matters about their life. Their faith is weak in certain things. So he says, be very, very careful how you handle them. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. By the way, this is not talking about vegetarians. In case you're a vegetarian, you're not standing condemned what Paul's saying. Paul's warning because in those days, so much was offered unto idols by way of animals. And once they were offered unto the idols, then they were slaughtered and they were sold in the marketplace. And people who had become believers came from that paganism and that worship and that animal sacrifice worship. They came from that and they would not buy the meat in the marketplace because they felt condemned. They felt, no, I'm not going to buy that because that's been offered onto an idol. 
So Paul says, actually, they were weak in their faith. Their faith wasn't strong enough to handle that. So with that in mind, read on. So the man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. He who abstains does, does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. But none of us lives to himself alone. None of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And for this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As it is written, as surely as I live, said the Lord, every knee will bow to me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. Now listen, let me just brief up there. As far as that meat's offered on idols, as far as that's concerned, Paul says, doesn't bother me one bit. I can eat it all day long. Because my faith is strong enough, because I don't believe in idols, and, and that offered on idols, it's no more to me, it's just a piece of meat to me, and I can eat that. But that's not the same for every believer, he says. There's others who look at that and say, hmm, I'm not sure about that. I don't think I can eat that. He says, because their faith is weak. They haven't been able to handle that. So he says, we who are strong ought to think about those who are weak. This is what he's getting at here. So therefore, stop passing judgment on another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Uh, Verse 14. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be evil spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. So, another little thing you see here. He says, look, it doesn't bother me in the slightest. And it really shouldn't bother you if your faith is strong enough to handle it. But if it does bother you, he says, I'm not going to do it in front of you. Because if I do, it might stumble you. And he says, I'm not acting in love. Even though my faith is strong and your faith is weak, I'm not going to put you down. I'm not going to say anything about it. I just will not eat this in front of you knowing your faith is weak because that will stumble you. That will hurt you. Do you understand what he's saying? He said, well, what's that got to do with it? It's got everything to do today. He goes on to say, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, 
but it's wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. The great preacher C. H. Spurgeon, this is away in the 1800s, for a time he smoked cigars. Didn't bother him one bit. Didn't see any harm in it. His faith was such that it never bothered him. Until he didn't do it publicly, he did it privately, until somebody told the cigar manufacturer, hey, Spurgeon's smoking your cigars. And they started to advertise the cigars that C.H. Spurgeon smokes. And when he saw that, he never smoked another cigar in his life. Because he knew there were other Christians that it would stumble if he did. And so he never did it again. This is what Paul's saying. Don't let your strong faith stumble a weaker brother. Have your faith to God and yourself. Chapter 15. We who are strong ought to bear the feelings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each one of us should please his neighbor for his good and to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Verse 5, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is telling us there very, very clearly and plainly that we're not to do anything that will stumble our brothers, even though it doesn't bother us. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said we should be careful about making a judgment and making a judgment that we don't put prejudice or prejudices before principle. What does he mean by that? He simply means this, that you may have a, a prejudice about something and it's your opinion. Your opinion may not be right, by the way, but you have a prejudice about it. But that's not a principle. Let me give you an example. A number of years ago, there was a couple came here. And at one point, the lady left. He stayed. And uh, one Sunday morning, just right over there, she had a conversation with me, just right out of the blue. She obviously had been thinking about it for a while. And it was just after the service. And she said, uh, uh, you see the worship part of the service? I says, yes. She says, why does all those people stand looking at us? I said, what do you mean? She says, well, two things. She says, first of all, I don't really agree with the band anyway. I would rather have a choir. And secondly, they should all be looking that way because we all should be looking in one direction for worshiping the one God. <laughs> and she's very adamant about it. And I says, uh, but wait a minute, that's your preference. She had a prejudice about this. I says, that's your preference, but it's not a principle. It's not in scripture, is it? And I says, apart from that, and if you had a choir, would the choir all be looking that way too? Would they stand with their backs to us? It was just ridiculous. But it was in her head. It was in her head. This is the way it should be. She had a prejudice about the way it was. 
That was in our head. That was our preference. But it wasn't a principle. It was just her idea, but it wasn't a principle. And so Martin Lloyd-Jones says we need to be careful about mixing up prejudice with principle. We may have our own prejudice about lots of things, but that doesn't make it a principle. Sometimes we make it a principle in order to add weight to our criticism. We make it a principle. But it's not a biblical principle. He further says that we can put personalities before principles. In other words, we judge in personality rather than principle. And who among us hasn't done that? That's why Jesus said in John 7, 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So when Jesus is saying do not judge, he's not saying all judgment is wrong, it's not allowed. He's saying be careful how you judge, examine your motive and your attitude before you judge, because one day all of us are going to be judged by him anyway. And then he says, judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So what way would you want to be judged? If somebody was going to judge you, what way would you want them to judge you? Fairly? Honestly? Knowing all the facts? I think so. You wouldn't expect any less than that. Sure you wouldn't. So therefore, we shouldn't do it any less than that. This is what Jesus is saying. The measure of your judgment, that's the way it'll be judged back to you again. Huh. And then Jesus, with supreme irony, makes this statement. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So in other words, we should avoid judgment that leads to condemnation. We need to avoid that. Criticism with the intention of being constructive is fine as long as truth is spoken in love and has the proper outcome. Otherwise, we had no opinions or no convictions about anything. But we have, and we should have. But judging that it's censorious, that's condemning, that's judgmental, that's pharisaical, is not permitted. Jesus won't allow it. Why? Because we are never in a position to do it. The big plank in our own eye distorts our view of the other person. That tiny speck that we see in somebody else's eye is like a mountain to us. And we're the one that's going to have to deal with it. Why? Because we are perfect and there's no sin in us, therefore we can cast the first stone right. Wrong. <laughs> we can't. Why? Because there's a great big plank in our own eye. This is what he's saying. And so... Only when we remove the plank from our own eye, only whenever we deal with our own faults and feelings, only then can we see clearly to remove the plank in somebody else's eye. And believe me, by the time we start to deal with our own specks, that'll keep us busy for a long, long time. What would be our motive for removing the speck, the moat? What would be the motive? Would it be a good intention? 
or would it because we feel superior? That we're so super spiritual and super holy that we would just delight in taking that speck out of our brother's eye. You see how ridiculous that becomes? You see how Jesus doesn't like that? However, someday, somebody may come to you and say to you, I've got a speck in my eye. I've got a fault. I've got a feeling. I've got a sin that's besetting me all the time. And I want you to help me deal with this. Wonderful if that happens. But if it does happen, then you've got to be tender-hearted about it. If you just don't go poking in somebody's eye because it's very, very sore. If you ever poked your own eye, you know how sore it is. So then we try to be a bit more careful about removing that speck of somebody once it removed. But first of all, we've got to get that plank out of our own eye. And so, yes, absolutely, we can assess. Yes, absolutely, we can make an analysis, we can make a judgment, but our motive has got to be right. Not in a condemning way, but wanting the best outcome. Some people just want to condemn for the sake of condemning. They just love to condemn. They love to put down. They love to feel superior to those around them. And that is something that God hates. It's hypocritical for a start. But if our heart and desire is, having examined our own lives and dealt with our own issues, if somebody comes to us and they need help, and our heart's desire is to help that person, to get them on the right track, to lift them up, not put them down, but to lift them up again. So judge not that you be not judged. See, there's a balance in this, isn't there? And we've got to get the balance right. Otherwise, we accept everything and everybody, and what everybody does or says, we accept it all. We say, we'll just love everybody, and we'll not challenge anything, we'll not say anything, we'll not do anything, and that's wrong too. That's why the church is in the mess that it's in to a large degree. But if we're going to make a challenge and we're going to say something, then the the motive has got to be right and it's got to be pure before God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help. We need your wisdom. We need your strength. We need your grace. Lord, we need to be able to have a heart like your heart to want the best in people, to want to bring out the best in people. So Lord, give us the heart to do that. And help us not to be rash in coming to judgment, but Lord, to think and to stop a moment and examine first our own hearts and see how we can be improved and how we could be better. So Lord, give us the grace to do that. It helps us to be people who loves, genuinely, truly loves and wants the best for our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And we give you thanks for this. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness in our lives. Where would we be tonight, Lord, without your grace and forgiveness? All of us ascend and fallen short of the glory of God. But your mercy, Lord, has lifted us. So help us to be merciful to others in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.